if you, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, that's where we're going to be going. Uh, Matthew 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, we will have it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible at all and you'd like one, we have them on the table right over there. We'd love to give you one as our gift uh, for sure for you to be able to read the Bible. Now, a few weeks after I was uh, engaged to Adrian, it was a fantastic opportunity to, to find my wonderful bride and we got engaged. Now, a few weeks after that, uh, I was, was in her hometown and, uh, and, and her, she let me know that we were going to be going on a trip with her family. We're going to go over to this place in southern Georgia, uh, this small town, a small college town that apparently had this store in there that was like the mecca of wedding dresses. And that didn't sound too thrilling to me at all, but it was, it was, I was only a couple weeks out of being engaged, so I was like, sure, I'll go. That sounds fun. Uh, so we drive all the way down to this three-story tall, all filled with wedding dresses store. And so it's me and her dad, her mom, and Adrian. And um, we get there, and it dawns on everybody, Charlie really can't take part in this at all. Uh, and so uh, me and Steve, my father-in-law, decide that we're going to go and, and kind of rummage around the city for a little while, uh, which there was nothing there. Uh, it was just a college town. The only thing in the town was a college, and the college was closed. Uh, so there wasn't a whole lot to do uh, in this little town, and so we kind of drove around for a little while. We toured a church, because that's what pastors do on their spare time. Uh, and so we, we were walking around, and we come back to the bridal, uh, the bridal store, and we're sitting in the car, and we finally like made our way into the lobby area, and me and him are just sitting in the lobby. And after several hours with your new to-be father-in-law, there's, I mean, you run out of things to talk about. And so we, we're kind of at that point where there's nothing more to talk about. And so we're just kind of sitting there in silence for two hours in the waiting room. Now, at some point we see, I think it was Adrian's mom come downstairs from the, the Mecca of wedding dresses. And she comes downstairs and says, uh, would you like to join us? And both of us say, yes. And she says, not you. And I say, great. And so Steve goes upstairs for another hour as I wait in the wedding dress store. And the only thing to read in the wedding dress store is wedding dress magazines. Uh, and this is before any kind of iPhone or anything like that, that I had nothing to do. And here, here's my problem the whole time was I, I was in a place where I was being uh, shunned out of the processional of the wedding. I mean, this, we were preparing to get married and, and Adrian, I was so excited, but I couldn't be part of what was happening because of the whole tradition where you can't see the bride before uh, the actual wedding day. And I, it was, it was so tough for me because I was sitting there for hours knowing that her family was taking part in this great experience uh, while I was not a part of it. And, you know, it's, it's held in hidden secret uh, for weeks on end, months on end for us at that point. And I remember, I mean, so the first time that I get to see my bride is when the door is open in the church and there she is. It's a fantastic moment. But I just remember for months on end, I was kind of left out of this process. And that was, that was, that was somewhat tough at times. And I was left out of the processional. Now, we are, as a culture, pretty intrigued by this idea of weddings. We, we enjoy weddings. Whether you're a guy or a girl, it's kind of like a, it's a big moment. Weddings are a big deal in our culture. And more than just weddings, uh, the, like kingdom, prince and princesses are a big deal. Of course, you guys remember last year, uh, hopefully we'll have this picture on the screen, uh, the biggest wedding uh, the, the biggest wedding that happened uh, last year was the, uh, you know, the, the prince and the princess of England. Uh, they uh, got, got married. There they are, William and Catherine. Uh, about 24 million uh, 
Uh, Brits watched the wedding. 22 million Americans watched their wedding. Uh, and, and untold millions around the world watched this magnificent scene as you have the prince and then what, what will be the, the princess coming together in this amazing wedding. A huge processional with carriages and, I mean, just massive attendance and thousands of people lining the streets, tens of thousands of people lining the streets to watch all of this happen. And we are intrigued by this. It is part of our inner being that we don't even know why we're intrigued by all this, but it's, it just seems like we're, it's wired into us. Now, I would, I would submit the reason why we're so intrigued by weddings and by kind of kingdom, this whole idea of king and queen, prince and princess, is because that's who we were made to be. We were made to be prince and princess. That's why, that's why my two-year-old daughter, or two, you know, at the time, two-year-old daughter, now three, that's why I don't have to teach her that she likes princess. She doesn't like to, dr- she likes to dress up like a princess. I don't have to teach her that. She loves that. It's kind of weird. She's just inherent. My son, who's two, I didn't have to teach him to, to, to want to have a sword and hit stuff. Why? Because he's, he's a prince. He wants to protect. I mean, if he doesn't have a sword, he's going to go outside and find a stick and hit stuff, right? Because that's what he's wired to do. We are intrigued and wired internally for this idea of kingdom and more, even more so, the idea of wedding inside of the kingdom. And the reason why is because the Bible is essentially this grand engagement story. It is the story of a groom and a bride. And almost the entire Bible is the story of these coming together. And then if you read at the end of the Bible, it is this giant wedding. And so we have a processional of sorts. In the New Testament itself, you have the bride and the groom. In the Old Testament, there's tons of language about how you have a promiscuous people, a promiscuous bride, who the groom is always trying to come back and redeem and protect and bring back and rescue the bride. It's this huge narrative. It's a huge story. And we all kind of want to be a part of that. God has instinctively wired us to be like that. And we feel weird oftentimes when we are left out of the wedding. Now, at my wedding, I, uh, you know, I had my groomsmen and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I remember there's this one guy who I did not expect to come to my wedding. He was, a, he was a kind of a friend of mine from high school, but we weren't close. And we certainly uh, did not hang out for years before uh, the wedding. But he just up and showed up at my wedding, like days before the wedding. And he'll never listen to it. His, his name was Harold. And, uh, and Harold wanted to do everything we were doing. Did anybody have that guy at their wedding or that girl at the wedding that showed up and desperately wanted to be a part of everything that was happening at the wedding? This was Harold. He just desperately wanted to be a part of everything that was going on. He stayed with us as the, with the groomsmen. He, like, he was at the bachelor party. He was a part of everything. I mean, the guy wore a suit hoping that he could be an usher at the wedding. He really wanted to be a part. I felt really bad because I'm just like, dude, I, I don't even know really what's going on with you. And, you were, and so I felt like we were leaving him out. I really wanted to help him out. But he was outside of the processional. He was outside of the wedding party. And what, what I, I think here, what's about to happen in uh, Matthew 21, we are about to see a small glimpse of a wedding procession where the groom comes in and he is ready and willing to come and rescue and redeem his bride. And there are people inside of this story that 
have specific actions that I want us to pay attention to because why? Because they want to be a part of the wedding. They want to be a part of the grand narrative of scripture that says, I want to be part of this processional because God has wired them this way. And I think that we can learn, we can learn a lot from the actions of, uh, of these people who are participating in the processional. So what I'm going to give you today, so if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three, uh, I, uh, three things or three principles of people who desire to be a part of the wedding, who desire to be part of the action, which is Christianity, a relationship with Christ. What does that mean? And we're going to look at three things that these people do. So if you look in your Bibles, Matthew 21, one through, I'm going to read the first five verses and we'll walk through that. Uh, it says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So here's Jesus, and I love this. Jesus coming onto the scene, and he is coming into Jerusalem. And he tells two of his disciples, go and go get this, uh, go get this donkey or the colt, right? And I love what he says. It's very kind of, it's very kind of Star Wars-y when he says, you know, if, if anybody says anything to you, just say, the Lord needs it. It's kind of like, this is not the droids you're looking for. I, I, you know, it's just kind of, uh, it, it's like, just don't worry, the Lord needs it. It's fine, right? So Jesus is coming into the scene. And from, at this point, Jesus, I mean, we're looking at three years into his ministry, most of his life, 30 years of his life, was lived in pretty relative obscurity uh, in a place, uh, in places that there wasn't a whole lot of people Although he was gathering a crowd. There were people that were going out to, to visit with Jesus, to talk with him, to learn from him, and possibly be healed by him for some kind of physical need. So, and he would often, when he would heal people, Jesus would say this to them. They would say, don't tell anybody about this yet. So it's, it's very interesting. Every time he would tell somebody, don't, just don't tell anybody. Just chill. I know this happened. I know I just saved your life, but just hang on. Okay, and what Jesus was doing is he's kind of putting a veil in front of himself because he, if he just unveiled everything about himself, uh, you know, things would happen with the cross and the resurrection much more quicker than he wanted them to happen. So he kind of veiled it. But at this point, he uses the word Lord for for the first time in Scripture. He calls himself the Lord, and this is when he starts to unveil exactly who he is at this moment. And he says. The Lord needs it. He is proclaiming exactly who he is. He's saying, I am the owner. I am the one who controls this universe. If you have a problem with the person who owns it, just say the Lord needs it. Because I do. I, I, I need it and I own it at the same time. I can have it when I want it. I am the Lord. And so he begins to unveil himself. Now, when he uses the word Lord, I mean, that's a very interesting statement. So when, when he calls himself the Lord to the Jews who are around would think that that's a blasphemous thought. Nobody is the Lord unless they are God. But Jesus is saying, the Lord, I am the Lord. To the Jews, that's blasphemous. Now to the Romans, if he said that I'm the Lord, that's treasonous. Why? Because who is the Lord? Caesar was the Lord. And if you came onto the scene and said, I am the Lord, then very quickly you could be killed. So Jesus is making a very large statement by saying, the Lord needs it. Now, 
he then gets onto a donkey, which is very interesting to ride into your processional on a donkey, right? I mean, it's not exactly, uh, it's not exactly the picture that we would want. I mean, we think of Shrek and, you know, sorts of stuff. But imagine if, you know, you talk to your bride and you said, hey, I'm, you know, we're going to hook up the processional car. We're going to, and, and, and she just said, you know what? I just want to ride in on a 1995 Kia. And she's, and you're like, that's not really that nice. I was thinking nicer than that. And you're just like, no, that's cool. I'll just get a Kia, right? Right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. A donkey is really not that wonderful an animal. Here's interesting. They actually call him, the, I mean, they call him the son of David. Now, here's something interesting. David, King David, when he was ruling his kingdom so that he could get near to his people, he would often ride through the capital city of Jerusalem on a donkey because he wanted to show the people that he was humble and he was near them. And so Jesus riding on a donkey is, is looking back onto King David. His, he is a descendant of David. And he's saying, I'm just like him. Now, what's interesting about, you know, David was the only one that did, what, that did this. Later on, Solomon would come along and he would get horses. And later they would turn into ho- huge war horses. And they would ride through the city in arrogance and prominence. Now, here's something interesting about Jesus. He says, no, I'm going to ride into the city. On a donkey. Now, for them, a donkey symbolized peace. You would only ride on a horse if you were going to war. Now, every everybody else, when, when they were talking about the Messiah, the Messiah was this one who was going to come and was going to liberate them from the Romans. And so when you had all these people who thought Jesus was this Messiah who was going to come in and he was going to kill all the Romans in, in a very violent way and then so that the Israelites can then begin to take over their city again. And so what they were expecting was, let's go get a war horse so this guy can ride into the city, conquer it, and become its king. That's what they wanted. But there was no war horse to be found, and he did not want one. He wanted a peaceful donkey because he was the prince of peace, and he would then create peace by his sacrifice on the cross. I like you, whoever that is. So we have this donkey, and then it says in verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming. The prince is coming He is coming for his bride. It is like, it is that moment. It is that moment when the doors open in the chapel or wherever and you see your bride, you see your groom for the first time. And then there, you know, because before there's this kind of, there's a little bit of angst, no matter how good your relationship is, there's a little bit of angst. Is my groom going to be there when they open those doors? Is my bride going to walk down that aisle? I really hope she does because I'm a little bit nervous about it. And when those doors open and you see the woman in the white dress, there's something about you that goes, Because these people had been waiting for the king for so long. They had been waiting for that king to be unveiled. Who is going to save them? Who is going to rescue them? Who is going to be their redeemer? And so once he shows up, he shows up on the scene. The king is coming. What do they say? Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna is a cry for help. It would be the same thing as saying if you were drowning in the ocean and you said, help, save me. But they're saying it. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Savior, Savior is coming. My one who is coming is going to save me. 
it's a, so when we sing that song that we just did, it might be a really weird word. We're just like, what the heck does so Hosanna mean? It means that my Savior, my Savior is coming. The one who is highest above everything is coming. The Savior, the Redeemer, the Rescuer is coming to get me. And those doors are opening and I can see him. So there's the picture of Jesus lifted up on a peaceful donkey and the king is coming. And this is an echo of the gospel. Marriage is simply an echo of the gospel. It is a picture of a groom and a bride coming together as one. Just like Jesus, just like God, has a relationship with his people coming together as one. Every time you go to a wedding, you should realize that this is a picture of my relationship with God. And it's a beautiful picture. It's awesome. So what is our response? If we are a part of this and we want to be a part of the wedding, we want to be a part of the processional, what is the actions that we should take as the church to be a part of the wedding? Because we don't want to be on the outside. That's terrible. We want to be in the crowd singing, singing Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We want to be those people. So what does it mean to be those people at the church of Cain Bay? What does it mean? So we've got three things to be those people. Number one, number one, submit, submit. We submit. Number, uh, verse six. I love this. It's very pointed, direct. It's awesome. Verse 6. He tells the disciples to do all this stuff, and he says, go get the donkey, and what do they do? The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them to do. It's very specific. He told them to go do something, and they said, we're going to go do it. We're going to do it exactly how you told us to do it. They submitted in obedience to his leadership. They took on uh, the role of servant and obedient, uh, obedient servant to serve what? The king. They recognize that he is the king and they're going to, going to serve. Now, flashback to last week when we talked about how a radical, uh, r- radical change is the catalyst for radical Christianity. This is service. That radical change, oh, I'm sorry, that, that we're looking for radical service. That these people submitted in obedience to exactly what Jesus wanted to do. And why? Because they were fixated on him. They were focused on him. And they wanted to lift him up so that everybody else can be fixed, fixed on him. They can be focused on him. They wanted to serve so to prop Jesus up so that everybody might see him. And when we serve, that's what we're doing. When we serve the church and when we serve others in our community, when we serve people at work, when we serve our wives, when we serve our children, we are lifting Jesus up so that he might be more clearly seen. In this church, it might look like this. We have a, a, a setup team that gets here at 7 o'clock in the morning to set up all of the stuff, the lights, the curtains, the chairs, the sound, the band, the children's area, the stuff out in the lobby. People get here every Sunday at 7 a.m. to set it up. Why do they do that? Because it gives us a platform to lift Jesus high so that you might be able to see him. That's why we do it. It's not about setting up a chair. It's about lifting Jesus high. So you folks that are on that team, thank you for what you do. Know that when you put that speaker in that place, what you're doing is you're allowing Jesus to be lifted high. I love, I love our, our people who are on our worship team. What do they do? Our worship team and our tech team. What do they do? They practice during the week. They practice these songs so that they're good and that they worship and praise Jesus. What are they doing? They're lifting Jesus up. They're serving in that way so that we might be able to fi- be able to be fixated on him during this worship service. They give and they serve, not because they want the glory, but because they want Jesus to get the glory. It's fantastic, right? Our greeting and hospitality team that's out there in the lobby, 
that provides coffee and snacks and stuff. What is that doing? It's making sure that we feel comfortable in this place, that you feel welcome, that you feel warm when you get here. All those people that shook your hands and gave you hugs and said, welcome to the church at Cane Bay. Those are people who are trying to provide an atmosphere so that you feel comfortable enough to worship Jesus in this place. That's what they're doing. When you have, when you have our, um, when you have, look, with those of you who serve in our kids' area, when you serve, there's people who serve once a month in our kids' area. Back there, they're serving right now in our pirate ship room and all the other rooms back there. And Jennifer Kenny, our worship minister, or I'm sorry, our, our children's minister, what she's doing and what they are doing and what you are doing every single week that you're back there and you wear one of those blue shirts and you miss the service, what are you doing? You are lifting Jesus so that children might be able to be fixated on their Lord and Savior. That's what you're doing. It's not about teaching some simple lesson. It's not about playing a game or doing a craft. It's about lifting Jesus high for them. That's why we do it. Our missional communities outside of this church, we don't just serve in the side of the church. We serve outside of the church. Our missional communities, what are they doing? They're working with the high school, with the middle school, with the elementary school. They're working with this neighborhood. They're working with apartment ministry. They're working with Ale Harbor. What are they doing? They're lifting Jesus high so that our community might be able to see him, so that we might be able to be fixated on him. And so when we ask, when we stand on this stage and we say, we need volunteers, we need people who will give and serve and love. We need people who will do that. The reason why is not because we need you as a warm body. We want you to be part of the processional. We want you to join in on the party. We want you to lift Jesus high so that others might be able to see him. That's what submission to Jesus really means. Number two. Number two, sacrifice. So we have submit and sacrifice. Number two, sacrifice. This comes from uh, verse 7 and 8. It says this. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now here's what's happening in this picture. Jesus is riding on a donkey, right? They put, it, they put him on a donkey and number one, they take their cloak or their outer cloak and they put it on the donkey because Jesus didn't really own a saddle or anything like that, right? And then those who didn't put it on the donkey, they literally spread it on the road so that the donkey, that the animal could ride over their cloak. Now here's the deal. Their cloak was very important to them. Back in that day, it was a big deal. You only, usually you only had one cloak and by day you would wear it, right? To keep the dust and the, and the bugs and everything off of you. And then at night, it was a big deal because you would use it as a blanket. That's what you'd use it for. A cloak was expensive for most people and it was, it was necessary. You needed a cloak. And so what were these people doing? They were sacrificing for Jesus, Right? They were saying that you are great. We are fixated on you. We want to focus in on you and we're going to give our best to you. So I'm going to take off the best thing that I own and I'm going to put it on the ground so the animal that you are, that you are sitting upon might be able to walk on it and, and so that we might be able to lift you high. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to sacrifice the best that I have for my Lord and Savior. So it's not only submission, it's sacrifice. And hopefully that we would be able to do that. That we would be able to give our best in our time. I love this. People are in huddles. Uh, a huddle is a, uh, person, or a group of two or three people that gather together to just read the word through the week. Uh, read the word and study it and keep each other accountable and just kind of live life together. Uh, we want everybody to be in one of those. I love, I love it because uh, there's so many people that are giving their most, pr- their most precious time 
their most precious time slot. They're moving around their schedule so that they might be able to give their best time to God. I know the, the guys that I meet with, um, they, we, we meet at 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. You know what I would rather be doing at 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning? Sleeping, right? But we give time, our best time slot, and most of you would agree, your best time is probably spent on your bed sleeping, right? Right? Your best time so that we might be able to approach God, that we might be able to get to know him and gain our knowledge of him, right? We not only give our best time, we give our best skills. God has gifted you in a very specific way. He has molded you and given you a blessed gift to do something great. You've been trained, you've been taught, and that gift should be used for the glory of God. And I would ask you, to be able to use that skill on Sunday mornings and in your missional communities. Don't think that because what you do all week is the skill that you've been trained to do and then think that we shouldn't use it on Sunday mornings because that's what we do during the week. Honestly, wouldn't we take our best skill, what we are most passionate about, what we are most gifted in, and use it for the glory of God? It might be on Sunday morning. It might be in our missional communities. It might be just in your community alone trying to reach people. I love this. We have great people that use the skills that God has gifted them in and use it to the best of their ability. I love uh, Joel's wife, Emily Ainsworth, has been doing our, uh, our hospitality uh, since the very beginning, right? And she's great. She's a great cook. She's a great baker. And everything out there is her vision of what should happen on Sunday morning. She uses that gift. It's fantastic. Our, uh, one of the guys on our light crew, Darren Turner, he's a network kind of guy, computer guy. And he, he serves in the area of making sure these lights are shining brightly onto my face. And, and if that ever broke, I have no idea how to fix it because he only knows how to fix it. Um, and so I'm, I'm just happy for him because, yes, he works with computers every single day of the week. But he shows up here on su- at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings to, again, work on a computer. He uses the skill that God has given him. The guy that uh, bangs on these drums, Clint. Where's Clint? love Clint. Clint uses, oh, there he is right over there. He uses the skill. Now with permission from Journey Church, our home church, we stole Clint <laughs> uh, and, and he has been with us from the very beginning. I guarantee you with permission. And, uh, and he has been, he's been back here almost every single week uh, to, to play drums for the band. He's been so, and he uses his great skill to lift Jesus up and give him uh, his best. I, and there's so many more of you. That's only a few. There's so many more of you that use what God has gifted and that you, you use your best to give God glory. I love that about you. We as a church want to do this as well and give in our best resources. One of the best ways we're going to do this is we're going to be a church planting church. Uh, where's my restoration community, folks? There you are. All the way, see those people over there? Uh, that folks, uh, Church of King Bay, that, I'm glad that we have like a separation over there. Like, y'all, y'all are on the West Wing over there or something. Um, anyway, uh, but uh, we're excited that you guys are here. This is a team that is planting a church in Hanahan. And they're, they've been here for the past couple of weeks learning what we do. Lord bless them. And, uh, and, and so we're, where's Adam? Raise your hand, Adam. Adam's their pastor. And so I, I would hope that after the service that you would just greet them and love on them because they're learning and they want to go doing uh, probably better than what we do and do it in Hanahan so that they might be able to reach people for the glory of God. That's what they're doing. We want to be a resource for that. Joel, who's in the back, your worship leader, led by Joel to take our best people, our best money, one of our best leaders that we have, and send them out to go plant another church. Why? Because we don't want to hoard what God gives to us. We want to resource the kingdom and say, this is what we're about. We want to give our best. We want to sacrifice our best. We're not going to keep our best for ourselves because that would just be selfish. The kingdom of God needs to expand, and that's how we're going to do it.
we constantly want to give our best at what we do and sacrifice what we have. Third thing, verse 9 uh, through 11. I love this. It celebrates. We have submit, sacrifice, celebrate. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Remember the guy riding on the colt, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, the one who saves. And when he, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Do you see the celebration that they have? It is a fantastic celebration. You have a fixation on, a, on this Lord, and now you have this celebration. And it is a desperate cry for, for help, saying this is our Savior. Now, we need a lot of help in this area. I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest. We need a lot of help. Now, I'm not saying like, uh, you know, I've been to churches where uh, you get there and you kind of feel like it's an aerobics class because they're like stretching out before worship because they're about to freak out, right? Um, I, you know, okay. But we need to move a little bit, right? We're worshiping Jesus, the guy who has redeemed us and restored us and their celebration to be had. They were shouting. Now, I know that's not for everybody, right? I know that's not for everybody. I understand that, right? But there's those of us that have, and most of us have, when we get excited and, and we want to celebrate something, especially in a football game, what are you going to do? And you, you might say, I don't, I don't really do that. What, when, you're, when your favorite team scores a touchdown, what do you do? Woo! What just happened? You know? You shout, you stand up, raise your hands, clap your hands. You're celebrating what is most important to you. And when we get here on Sunday morning and we praise and love our Savior God, do we allow that same celebration to come from our mouths and come from our hands and come from our expression? I'm not saying we need to freak out. I'm just saying we need to give a little bit more, folks. Right? And I'm excited about that. So don't miss this. Don't miss this next step. Right? So you have the celebration, and then what happens? What does it say? The whole city was stirred up. Why? And what did they say? Who is this? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus. Do you see what happens? We're fixated on Jesus. We celebrate him, and then there's an automatic proclamation of him. I wrote it like this, and this is kind of the bottom line of our sermon. I want you to write this down. I want you to think about it. Keep it. Fixation leads to celebration, leads to proclamation. Fixation, fixation on Christ. Whatever we're fixated on leads to us celebrating that, which then leads to us proclaiming it. And this, this, this will happen in pretty much anything in your life. Something that you're fixated on, something that you're focused on, you will then celebrate whatever that thing is. And then it will come naturally for you to proclaim it and tell other people what it is. And I'm saying in this story, what these people are doing is they are fixated on Christ. They are lifting him up so that they might be able to celebrate him. And so what naturally comes after that is a proclamation of who he is. In Cane Bay, this community and the surrounding communities, it should be stirred up so much that the people say, who is this and what's going on? This is Jesus. This is the, this is the one, this is Hosanna, the one who has come to say. We submit, we sacrifice, we celebrate. Our fixation is going to lead to celebration. 
our celebration is going to lead very quickly to proclamation. I hit a lot of different things on there. The three things that we do in our church, and we'll say them over and over again until you get sick, we want you to plug into a missional community. We want you to be in a huddle during the week. And we want you to serve in some way. Some way, somehow. And one of the best ways that you can do that is to do something on Sunday morning. And I would love for you to think through that. I would love for you to be accountable to that and say, hey, I want to be on the tech team. I want to be in our kids' area. I want to be in the band. I have skills, and I want to use the skills that God has gifted me in to serve. And thank you guys for those of you who do and do so so diligently. I want those of you who are not to join the processional. I want you to join the wedding. I don't want you to be left out of the wedding, of the wedding procession. I don't want you to be that guy who's off in the corner and isn't part of the celebration. I want you to be a part of it. And every time we stand on the stage and say, hey, we would love for you to plug in through serving, that means that we want to ask you to lift Jesus high so that we might be able to be fixated on him. Right? So we're going to have, after the service is over, we're going to sing, here, we're going to sing a song. It's a really good song, right? And I'm telling you, there's a couple moments in this song where if you don't sing loud and celebrate what's about to happen, what we're singing about, there's something wrong with you, right? I'm just telling you. I mean, it's an awesome song. Uh, and it, it's actually kind of a hymn. So if you like hymns, uh, it, it'll, it'll fit you, right? So um, I'm just telling you, there, there's going to be a moment here that you're going to be able to celebrate Jesus, and I want you to do that, right? And then when you walk out of here, there's going to be a table, and it's going to give you the opportunity to sign up to serve somehow in some way. Uh, I'm thankful again for you guys over here. There's so many of you that, that came this morning at 7 a.m. and helped us pull, uh, pull stuff out of that truck and set it up. So thank you, Adam. Thank you for your leadership. And guys, Brian... Uh, Brian's, wherever you are. I really appreciate you guys doing that for us. So uh, thank you guys for being here. And Cane Bay, let's love on them the best way we can uh, over the next couple weeks. But let's get plugged in, guys. So let's pray. Uh, and then we're going to stand up. We're going to celebrate together. Let's do it. God, we're thankful. And we, uh, we just ask uh, that you uh, would just be glorified. Father, I pray that we would simply submit to you and your leadership. That, we, that you, when you command us to do something, that we would willingly do it uh, with, without any reservation. And God, when, we, when it comes to sacrificing our best, what we have, that we would not hoard anything that we have, but that we would sacrifice what we have that is our best. And God, when it comes to celebrating, when we sing this song, when we continue to sing this song, and as we walk out of here and we get in our cars, that the celebration would continue because Jesus doesn't leave us when we leave this building. And so I pray, God, that we would constantly be able to stir up this neighborhood for you so that we might be able to proclaim Jesus right here so that people might be able to come to that same saving knowledge and they might be able to say, Hosanna, save me. I'm ready to be saved. I'm ready to be rescued. Ultimately, Jesus, we just love you. We love you as a church. We celebrate you. Father, I pray that now we would be fixated on you. In your name we pray. Amen.